Are you looking for a way to save a little money? What about getting your subscriptions under control? If so, then I've got just the solution for you. Rocket Money. With the help of Rocket Money, I was able to find a subscription that I completely forgot to cancel before the free trial was up. I'm sure you've all been there. And Rocket Money can help me cancel it. Between streaming platforms, apps, delivery services, and even parenting and kids subscriptions, it's hard to keep track of exactly what you're spending and how much it all adds up to each and every month. Not to mention the fact that it seems every single day one of those subscriptions suddenly jumps up in price. Rocket Money alerts you when this happens so you're never caught unawares. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With them, I can see clearly what my monthly spending is and how it compares to the month before, making saving money and taking control over my finances so much easier. They'll also try to negotiate lowering your bills up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll even deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. That's rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. Rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. When arrived, they found the telephone and electricity line. The weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Morning. Cup of murder. Colrophobia is a term used to describe the deep phobia of clowns. It's a fear that many have. On January 2nd, 1972, the man we know as the killer clown took his first victim. Today, we talk a little about the infamous John Wayne Gacy. So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. John Wayne Gacy, born March 17, 1942, grew up with a childhood we are familiar with by now. He was bullied for his weight, called dumb and stupid, and beaten all at the hands of his alcoholic father. And when his mother tried to shield him from his father's wrath, he was simply called a mama's boy or a sissy. Gacy also found himself being molested by a family friend at a very young age. Not only that, but he began suffering from blackouts and seizures. Between the ages of 14 to 18, he spent almost a year in the hospital. His father thought it was all an elaborate ruse to gain sympathy and attention. Gacy spent the rest of his life making decisions he thought would make his father proud. 
One of these decisions was to leave home and head to Vegas to work at a mortuary. Here he had his first experience with the dead when he climbed into the casket of a young boy and felt a, quote, sense of shock that made him call his mother and beg to come home. Just after completing college in 1964, he got engaged to a woman named Marilyn Myers. They married, and Gacy's new father-in-law purchased three KFC restaurants in Waterloo, Iowa. The young married couple moved so Gacy could manage them. John became a prominent member of an organization called the Jaycees, rising to the position of vice president and being named the third most outstanding member in the entire state of Illinois before serving on the board of directors for the Waterloo chapter. He was highly regarded, worked on several fundraising projects, and was known as a good husband and father to those who came in contact with him. His own father even admitted to being wrong about his son and being proud of the man he had become. However, there was a seedy underbelly to the JCs that involved wife swapping, prostitution, pornography, and drug use. Gacy began socializing with the young boys he employed at the restaurants and, once plied with alcohol, would make advances on the boys. He committed his first known sexual act on a 15-year-old boy named Donald Voorhees in August of 1967. This was the first of what would become many. In March of 1968, the young boy confided in his father what Gacy had done. He was charged with oral sodomy and the attempted assault of another 16-year-old boy. Though he denied the allegations, Gacy persuaded one of his employees, 18-year-old Russell Schroeder, to assault Voorhees and discourage him from testifying in the upcoming trial. He did so in September of that same year, but Voorhees was able to escape and report the assault to police. It was all traced back to Gacy, and he was arrested and charged. He was convicted and sentenced to 10 years on December 3, 1968. Shortly thereafter, his wife petitioned for a divorce, and Gacy never saw his wife or children again. While in prison, his father died. He was granted parole, relocated back to Chicago to live with his mother, and serve his 12 months probation. He had only served 18 months of his 10-year sentence. With help from his mother, he bought the infamous home on West Somerdale Avenue and, in July of 1972, married a woman named Carol Hoff and started his own construction business, a business that had the habit of employing teenage boys. In 1973, he raped one of these boys while on a work trip in Florida. Upon their return, the boy beat Gacy in his front yard before his mother-in-law stopped the attack. He told everyone the boy was angry because he refused to pay him for his poor quality work. He began his life over, became a prominent member of this new community, and began regularly performing as Pogo the Clown for local fundraising events, parades, and for hospitalized children. Up until 1972, John Wayne Gacy was a child predator masquerading as a local good old boy. It was on January 2, 1972, that he took his sexual deviances to a new level when he picked up 16-year-old Timothy Jack McCoy. He took the young boy on a sightseeing tour of Chicago before taking him back to his home with the promise of a good night's sleep and a ride back to the bus station the next day. 
According to Gacy, he woke up to find the boy standing in his bedroom holding a kitchen knife. Scared for his life, Gacy leapt forward, was cut on the arm, and banged the boy's head against the wall before kicking him against the wardrobe. The two wrestled before ending the altercation with Gacy stabbing the boy in the chest with a knife. It wasn't until Timothy McCoy was dead that Gacy noticed he had been cooking breakfast, hence the knife. He buried the boy in his crawl space and later under a layer of concrete. It was after this attack that Gacy realized that, to him, death was the ultimate thrill. He spent the next six years luring 33 teenage boys and young men to his home where he would rape, torture, murder, and stash them inside the house. Some of these boys worked for his company, and many were found while, quote, cruising. These boys were often offered drugs and alcohol, then placed in a pair of handcuffs under the guise of a joke or clowning routine before being raped and then murdered by either asphyxiation or strangulation. They were then buried in the crawl space where 26 of his victims resided, or elsewhere on his property. His last four victims were thrown in the Des Plaines River. His neighbors noticed strange behaviors, especially after his wife asked for a divorce on the grounds of infidelity with women. His car would come in and out of the driveway at all hours, lights in his home would switch on and off into the night, and his constant company with young men. But despite all of this, he remained an active member of his community, though some clues like selling the car of one of his victims and an escaped victim named Jeffrey Rignall, police had heard John Wayne Gacy's name a few times. He was even facing an impending battery charge for Rignall. But to them, he was a good guy who did a lot of good for the city. How could he possibly be the person behind all of the missing boys? Then his last victim, Robert Jerome Peast, was heard accepting a job from Gacy. When the 15-year-old boy disappeared, once again, the trail led back to Gacy. He denied talking to the boy and even offered to come down to the station for questioning. When he arrived at 3.20 a.m., he was covered in mud and claimed to have been in a car accident. The next day, he provided a written statement detailing his movements on December 11th when the boy went missing. His home was searched on December 13th, and a number of suspicious items were found. Police started following him, and after a few days of cat and mouse with his surveillance team, on December 20th, 1978, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office, rambled for hours about his crimes, drove to various locations saying his goodbyes, before unplugging the sump pump and flooding his crawl space. When a technician entered the 28 by 38 foot room, he claimed, I think this place is full of kids. In the early hours of December 22nd, Gacy confessed to police that he had committed 25 to 30 murders. Between December 22nd and 29th, 27 bodies were recovered from Gacy's property, many of which remain unidentified. John Wayne Gacy went to trial on February 6, 1980, and was charged with 33 murders. After more than two hours of deliberation, the jury found him guilty, and he was sentenced to death on 12 of those counts. 
His execution, held on May 10th, 1994, was famously botched, with the whole thing taking 18 minutes. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on January 3rd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy-to-listen-to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.